morning, everyone. I can't tell you how much of a blessing and honor it is to be here this morning with you guys. Uh, and how much of a blessing it will be for your kids to go back to children's ministry. I didn't forget at first service, Ben was flagging me down back there. But sincerely, it's a blessing and honor. So if you guys have kids, send them back to the kids' ministry, and they can have fun and learn about the Lord and, I'm sure, eat tons of candy. But sincerely, like I said, Pastor Caleb called me a couple weeks ago and asked me to fill in for him, and I thought he was calling as I was looking for a trailer. I thought he was calling about that or seeing how I was doing, and I was really blessed to to hear that he would have me fill in for him while he's gone. So uh, why don't we pray for him quick while he's away, and uh, that God would bless him. So God, thank you for Pastor Caleb and his family and the call and the work you're doing through him and everyone here at this church. We pray that you just bless them as they're away and minister to them and through them, and uh, let them come back just so refreshed to be back with the people they love here. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So this morning we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 4. The title of the message is The Principal Thing. The Principal Thing. Uh, But a brief intro uh, to myself, really. I think sometimes when we come to hear the Word of God, it's good to know who the messenger is, right? And you guys don't know me. And probably after service, you'll be glad you don't know me. But hopefully we'll get to know each other a little bit. Uh, when I was little, I grew up in and out of church. Uh, my parents got divorced when I was around eight or nine, and that really sent my life on a, a trajectory of my own making, so, or so I thought. You know, the Lord had it all in his, in his hands. Um, but by the time I got to college, my life was uh, a wreck. Uh, I was a drug addict. I was drinking all the time. I was depressed. Uh, the girl I was with, she and I had an abortion, and I ended up dropping out of college. Uh, so my life was completely down the drain, right? Um, I was over. I was losing my mind. Uh, And then God began to remind me of things that I had learned because I had gone to a Christian school growing up in Revelation. September 11th had happened. I began reading the Left Behind books, and God began to get my attention. It took a couple years for it to stick and for me to truly repent. But in November of 2003, I remember giving my life to the Lord in the bedroom that I had in my mom's house in upstate New York. And I just remember the Lord being there. It wasn't like he walked in the room and I saw his robe and he had blonde hair because that's not what he looks like. But I knew he was there, and I knew I wasn't empty anymore. I, I, I woke up the next morning, and the only way I can describe it is, and my wife would probably laugh because I say it all the time, it's like the chocolate Easter bunnies, right? There's the two types. There's the hollow ones, and there's the solid ones. I went to bed like that hollow one, but I woke up, and something was different. And I don't know that my life was any sweeter, but I had the one who loved me with me. So I got plugged into a good small church. Uh, I remember just sitting there and like, in, not under necessarily understanding, still being just freshly sober and just the word of God just washing over me and me just sitting forward or back or whatever like those old commercials with the tapes in the 80s where the guy sits in the chair and the sound system blows away that's what the I felt like the word of God was doing in my life um, and I think the teaching was good I don't remember what anything that was said probably but uh, it was good and I started serving I moved in with some friends from the church I got involved in the youth group media anything I could do like that song saying it's one of my favorite songs into marvelous light I'm running out of darkness, out of shame. I wanted to run away from everything that I'd been involved with before. Uh, You know, I didn't run away from my friends. I shared the gospel with them. They didn't like that. But I ran towards everything that I could to follow God with what I could in my life. I got involved. I was a deacon. I taught. I met my wife. We got married. I was ordained. Uh, We lived in Maryland for a while. We moved back to upstate for a while. And then God called us to Montana about five years ago. But I share this because I want, as we go into the Proverbs and wisdom, I want you to understand that God has blessed this fool. That without the Lord, I'm a fool. And that's why I'm wearing this shirt today. I found the most foolish shirt I could find in my closet that I enjoy. That, you know, you only wear between Memorial Day and Labor Day. 
But I hope that when you see this shirt, when you see this fool, when you hear me talk this morning, that hopefully, prayerfully, through the word, you'll hear God's wisdom. And maybe every time you see one of these silly shirts out in the wild, you'll remember Proverbs. You won't remember me, but remember that God is wisdom for you. And he's blessed me with a new life, a new identity. My wife and kids back there, we have another baby coming next week. Pray for my wife, because we have four kids, one of the way, and then she's got me, the biggest baby of all. But uh, hey, who's that? <laughs> That's true. So in 1 Corinthians 1, I want to share this verse before we get into uh, the bulk of our study. But 1 Corinthians 1, 17 through 25 says this. Paul says, For Christ did not send me to baptize. Uh, there's a baptism going on. Talk to Pastor Caleb. But to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, Greeks seek after wisdom, Americans say trust the science, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Amen. God, we thank you for your word, God, that you are all wise, you're all powerful, and God, yet somehow you're humble enough to love us and come down to us and and reach us in our darkest place, God, and for the things that, God, I know you're calling each of us to a greater life in you and ultimately home to be with you, God. Would you just give us wisdom by your word through your spirit this morning? God, anyone that, God, has been hearing you but ignoring you or pushing you off, God, would they not do that any longer this morning? God, anyone who's been feeling the call of you to step out and do something, would you give them the strength and the wisdom to do that? And anyone who needs an answer this morning by your word, by your spirit, would you answer it for them? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to try and slow down a little bit. My wife told me to slow down because I'm watching that clock and I've got a lot to cover, but it's all right. You guys have nothing else to do today, right? Except hang out with a stranger. No, we'll let, you, we'll let you go to normal time. So I'm going to try and get through this because it's good. I just love Proverbs. I love the Bible. It's awesome. Let's read. I'm reading out of the modern English version, so it might be a little bit different than yours. It's based on the New King James. But let's read the first four verses of Proverbs chapter 4. And this is Solomon speaking. He says, Hear, O children, the instruction of a father, and attend to no understanding, for I give you good precepts. Another translation says doctrines. I like that. Do not forsake my teaching. For I was my father's son, tender and the only beloved in the sight of my mother. He also taught me and said to me, let your heart retain my words, keep my commandments and live. And we'll stop there. You know, who is Solomon? I'm not sure how much Pastor Caleb has gone into depth depth or the pastor last week shared. But Solomon, right? His dad was David, King David. We know him, right? David and Goliath. He had the sling. He was a little shepherd boy. When it was time to anoint the king and the prophet came, his dad didn't even think he was worthy to bring in front of the prophet. He left him outside by the barn, right? And the prophet said, no, 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 there's got to be somebody else. Why? Because God looks on the inside, not on the outside. And I think some of that got imparted to Solomon. Uh, He was the third king of Israel. He was said to be the wisest man who ever lived. 
Uh, and he ushered in a literal golden age into Israel. They had gold and wealth like never before. The temple was glorious. And then Rome came in and melted it all down, and people took it and stole it uh, after that because things happen when wisdom isn't applied. But if you remember, Solomon's mom was Bathsheba. If you remember, Bathsheba wasn't David's first wife. David's first wife, Michael, was Saul's daughter, right? And there were some issues there. Uh, but he didn't come around in, in the best of stories. And yet here he is, the son of David, sitting on the throne at age 20. And what does he say when he, when he comes to God? God appears to him in a dream as he's offering and doing these things that maybe aren't even right at the time, but God shows up to him. And he basically says to God, God, I'm a kid. I have no idea what I'm doing. And in 1 Kings 3.9, it says, Give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? That Solomon knew he needed wisdom. He had the, the most famous king dad ever. His dad slayed the giants. His mom must have been a, a great-looking lady, so he had the pedigree. He was probably good-looking, right? He had all the wealth. His dad had saved up to build the temple for him. He was king. He had everything that any of us probably would have wanted. But he realized that, man, I don't know anything. And for a 20-year-old to realize that he doesn't know anything, that's kind of a big deal, right? For a 41-and-something-change-year-old to know he doesn't know everything is a pretty big deal, too. But this pleased the Lord. This prayer that Solomon prayed pleased God. And so God said, Solomon, you've asked for that. Sure, that's no problem. I give you wisdom, no problem. And I'm going to give you everything else, no problem, too. Uh, and that's not what we probably would have asked for, right? Would have asked for that Ferrari or that brand new riding mower you saw outside Home Depot or whatever it is that's caught your eye. That's probably what we would ask for first. But Solomon, in a heart of wisdom and a rare thing, asked for wisdom. And so God gave it to him. And Solomon knew his place despite his role. Like I said, he had all this going for him, but he knew that he needed God. Like we said, like we sang before, God, desperate for you. Psalm 103, 13 through 16 says, As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. And as for man, our days are like grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes, and the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and his place remembers it no more. There's a cool group that does a song about this, and I just love it. Especially now, you know, you go out and mow the lawn, we've had so much rain this year. You got to mow, and then mow again. I've never seen the grass as tall as it is. The mower kept getting stuck. My neighbor's belt came off their mower. Um, but that's like us. A little bit of water, we grow up big. And then we die and dry out by the time August is here and then we're on fire, right? That's our life. It's gone and it's over with, right? We think we're something so spectacular and special, and we are in God's eyes, but the history, most of us have gone away, right? And that's part of wisdom, is knowing our place, knowing our place in comparison to God. Because the first part of wisdom, as I believe was taught last week, is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and if I might add a second part, the second part would be knowing that we don't know it all. That we fear God, and as we come to him, we realize, God, we don't know it all. We don't have it all together. In fact, we don't know anything. Why? Because we are but dust. But that's okay. That's okay. It's okay to know that we don't know anything. Um, what was that book? Uh, I'll, I'll think about it later, but there's a book with a good title about that. <laughs> to, know what to, to know what you don't know. 
Because remember in the garden? Well, I know you don't remember because you and I both weren't there, right? I was born in New Jersey, the garden state, regrettably, but it's not a garden. Don't go there. But when God created Adam and Eve in the garden, it was a perfect place, right? He said, don't eat from this one. Guys, do anything you want. Just don't eat from this one tree. Trust me. And of course, they didn't trust him. And that's when sin and death entered the world. But the point is, is that they weren't meant to handle sin and death. We weren't meant to know everything in ourselves. Even in the garden, they were meant to hang out with God every day. They walked with him in the cool of the night. So when we go through life, when we experience things like death, it's okay to not know what to do with it, to not know how to handle it, because there's no possible way, even with all the wisdom in the world, to be able to handle something like that. The only way to handle it is to go to the one who defeated it and let him handle it for us and let ourselves fall on him on his throne of grace. But it's more than just that. It's about wisdom, too. It's okay to not know everything. Like you said to Job, remember Job had all those friends who were the wise guys, and they kept around. They had all this great worldly advice for him. You know, they watched Jerry Springer. They listened to The View, and they came, and they told him all these things. And at the end, God goes, hey, uh, hey Job, were you there when I made the earth? Were you there when I put Le- Leviathan, the giant sea creature, in the water? Were you there? And Job goes, oh, or nope. He realized his place. That he'd been foolish. That even though he had suffered all this affliction, he had no idea what he was talking about. And none of his friends did either. And I'm sure that's a relief. Sometimes it's a relief when we realize our friends have no idea what they're saying either, right? They don't know what we're saying. But on the flip side of that, does any of us like being called a fool? I know like when I go to a meeting at work, I want to come and bring a good idea. I hate when I bring an idea and everyone's kind of, ugh. You know, you want to be the person that has the right ideas. You want to be the person that has it together. We put on airs to make it look like we have it together. I thought about wearing a nicer shirt, nicer clothes, and I'm like, I I don't have it together. I want you to know I don't have it together, right? But we like being made fun of. No one wants to be called a fool. No, You know, who enjoyed it in high school? Getting made fun of, right? I, I think who enjoyed making fun of people in high school, right? It is what it is. The worst part of that, you know, the beginning of of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God, but sort of the end of wisdom, right? Not the fulfillment of wisdom, but the end of it is saying in your heart that there is no God. The Bible says the man who says in his heart that there's no God is a fool. Because Romans 1 says to us that God's invisible attributes are clearly made known to us just by looking around. We go look around the world, and it's foolish to go, God didn't make that. There must be aliens. We were seated from another planet. We came from a monkey. It's foolish. That comes from a heart that says, I don't want to know God. That comes from a heart that says, I know better that even though I was born in 1800 and I traveled to Galapagos, I know better than the one who made it all. Matthew 12, when the scribes came to Jesus, they asked him for a sign. And he said, guys, don't ask me that. That's wicked. That a wicked generation asked for a sign. A wicked generation wants to see a big show to prove who God is. And God says, you're already in the big show. Creation, And he says to them, The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. He said, Guys, you think you know it all. You're the scribes, you're the Pharisees, you've got it all together. you got the robes, you got the knowledge. But you have no idea about the things of God. And God says, This lady, who was a king in a foreign continent, came to hear Solomon, and she got limited wisdom from Solomon, an earthly king, and you have a heavenly king in front of you, and you don't want anything to do with it. She's going to condemn you. She didn't get everything right, but she got the important things right. 
And that's the goal of wisdom. That's the ultimate goal. It's not that we'd be smarter, that we'd be wiser, that we'd be richer. It's that we would know God himself and God himself revealed in his son Jesus. That Jesus is the living image of the invisible God. Because if any of us, the Bible says, if we were to stand in the presence of God, we'd evaporate. There's no man who can stand there. And so God in his all nuclear fusion power says, I'm going to send my son, someone who you can relate with in flesh and bone, so that you won't just evaporate when you see him. Uh, but when he comes back, another study, oh, I love Revelation, I'm just going to go on a tangent, the sword is going to come out of his mouth, and it's going to destroy everyone. He comes with an army, but the army doesn't have to do anything, right? So we know a God who is powerful, but is humble enough to reach us. And he, Jesus goes on in another part in John 5.39, says, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me, that these scribes and Pharisees had all the wisdom, probably memorized Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, copied it down, they knew how to write, but they missed the point of them all. They missed the point of the wisdom. Because being wise or knowing the Bible or reading the Bible isn't just for knowledge, isn't just for bragging rights, although that knowledge is found there. It isn't just for practical wisdom, although it's found there. Proverbs has a lot of great practical wisdom. Don't mess with the fence on your neighbor's property, right? It talks about that. Don't move the foundations that your father made, right? You don't want problems with your neighbors. Don't touch the fence. When I mow the lawn, I make sure I'm not knocking into my neighbor's fence. I don't want any issues. I don't want his horses getting out. But it's not just for that, even though there is no greater source. Because the Bible, even Proverbs, even Leviticus, dare I say it, if you go and read that, is for sitting down face to face with Jesus. With our Father. The one who made us. The one who formed us in our mother's bellies. Who knew us. Who knit us and fashioned us. As Solomon's uh, dad David said. He knows what's best for us. And sometimes I don't think we think that. And sometimes I think it's because of the relationships that we've had growing up, our fathers, our parents, perfect or imperfect, because these relationships were meant to only be good in Christ. And without him, even the best dad is going to fail. And even with him, the best dad is going to fail. I pray that all the time. My kids know that their heavenly father loves them even when I fail. But God wants us to know that he is not a hard man. Yeah, he's all powerful. We show up in his presence. Boom, we're wiped away. But because of Jesus on the cross... We can come to him boldly. We don't have to go through a sacrificial system. There's no veil. There's no bulls. There's no us doing works. Like in, in Corinthians talks about the veil being torn away when the law was fulfilled. Because he's not a hard man, like he says in the parables. You thought I was a hard man, he said to the guy who had the little talents and buried them. He didn't know God. And that's the ultimate goal of this, that God would have us in ultimate wisdom come to know the inventor of wisdom. But part of being wise and getting to be wise is obeying. And sometimes we don't like that. When, when my kids obey me, I know it's because things have been going good. When they disobey me, sometimes it's them. Sometimes it's I know I've been spending time with them or other things like that. But it's been said that we truly don't know the scriptures or what they mean until we've obeyed them. And I think the same goes for wisdom. We can know a lot of book smarts, but have no idea what they mean in the real world until we've applied them. We can know what certain scriptures say or certain life principles say, but we have no idea the depth of them or how they really play out until we obey them. And I think a lot of us, and especially the world, looks at the Bible, sees it as rules, doesn't see God in it, and thinks that they know better. They read it and go, oh, that's not one man, one woman. Uh, you know, whatever the Bible says about something, oh, that's foolish. 
But have they ever tried it? Have they ever tasted and seen that the Lord is good? That's what it's all about, that God wants you to have those things that are good in your life, but those good things come through wisdom, and those good things come through obedience. Not that we earn them, like earning salvation, no, but it's about we are willing to realize that God is who he is, and we're willing to do things his way, even when we don't like it, and he's able to bless us in that. And he's so gracious, he blesses us sometimes when we're totally off base too. It rains on the just and the unjust alike, does it not? But fools like to talk about that and talk about things that they have no idea about. And the Bible, Proverbs is great too because it makes the voice of a fool very evident in what they sound like. Because wisdom is not having all the answers, right? It's about knowing where to find the answers. I love working on cars, right? It started out because I was really broke and now I'm still broke, but at least I can fix things when I'm broke and I don't have anyone to pay for them. But I, I'm YouTube certified. I can go on YouTube and look up and see how someone does this or takes this off. And I pulled an engine out of a car and somehow it's back in there now. It doesn't run as good as it did before, but I'll get it there. But I know where to find the answers. We live in an amazing day and age. The Bible says in the last days, knowledge will increase. Men will go to and fro on the face of the earth. We're in the last days. In your pocket, you can look up all anything you want. Now we've got AI. You're going to have a little digital God that can give you all the answers to your life if you're so foolish to believe it. But sincerely, I know where to get the answers to fix my car. Online, or I, I even phone a friend sometimes who knows a little bit about it. And that's wisdom. It's not necessarily having the answers, but knowing where to find them. And the word says in Psalm 138, too, it says, You have magnified your word above all your name. You know that God holds his word above his name? The name of Jesus, which is above all names. The name of Jesus, which died on the cross, which learned obedience through death, even to the death of the cross. That God holds his word above his name. And I'm not much of one for gimmicks. You know, I work in advertising. And I hate gimmicks and buzzwords. But this is the word of God. Where do we hold it in our lives? Do we hold it up above everything in our life? Is it the authority in our life, whether we understand it or not, whether we like it or not, whether it's popular or not, whether someone else believes it or not? And sincerely, I know this is, I don't know where this is printed, hopefully not China, but it's printed somewhere. If it's on the floor... Can you, can you be okay with that? I know it's just paper. I'm not being legalistic, but the Word of God, would you be okay stepping on it? Or is this to you the Word of God? Or is it just like the TV guide? I know the ink and the paper probably came from the same factory, but it's not. They even make that anymore. TV guide? I don't know. I'm giving away my age here. But sincerely, it's the Word of God. And we should hold it up because these are the words of life. That godly wisdom brings life. Earthly, fleshly wisdom, it only brings death. I think Ben prayed it before about the wages of sin is death. So as we go on, let's hold up God's word in our life. Verse 5. Uh, get wisdom! Exclamation point. Get understanding. I need to say that again. I feel like I didn't say it strong enough. Get wisdom! Get understanding! <laughs> right? How is he writing this? You know, sometimes we read the Bible and go, get wisdom, get understanding. You know, how is it written? How is the life in it? And I won't kill you with more of my acting, but do not forget it, nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and, he will and she will preserve you. Love her, and she will keep you. Wisdom is principle. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all you're getting, get understanding. Like I said, the internet books, you know, there's still books out there. There's books on basically everything, and everyone seems to have an idea and an opinion on it all, and that's fair. Um, 
But there's books out there to teach you about get what you want in life. You know, maybe it's the, the, the Internet for the Dummies book, right, or whatever the book is. Maybe it's how to stack the deck, play your cards right so you always win. Maybe it's get ahead in business or in life, uh, self-help, uh, practical coaching. I remember being at a donut shop back east, and I hadn't thought about it until last service. But I remember this guy with his kids telling them how much he loves psychology because he uses it to manipulate people and get what he wants. And this was the wisdom of the father being imparted into that son. And I pray, oh, Lord, be with that child, Right? But that's the way the world is, because we all want something, right? We all want something. There's plenty that each of us want, and some things that we want more than others. I said in the last service, I've been getting into watching Formula One, and these guys from the littlest age are driving these little go-karts and the bigger cars and bigger cars and bigger. It could be any sport you like, right? Doing it from a young age to be the best. They want to be the best. And there's nothing wrong with excelling or, or going after things in life, but what are the methods used to get there? Are they wise methods? Are they... I don't know. Because in 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10, he says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, in these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptations and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. That's not wrong to desire. God has given us desires. But the question is, what are we giving as an outlet to those desires? Is it godly? Is it not? Is it wise? Is it foolish? Because he says, with many foolish and harmful lusts, that there is a desire that cropped up, but it wasn't handled in the right way, and so it led to destruction. Because if God gave us desires, he wants us to know how to fulfill them, and that comes through wisdom. That comes through wisdom. James, the half-brother of Jesus, he used to make fun of Jesus and call him crazy like his brothers did until the resurrection. And after the resurrection, he writes in James 4, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not, because, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask and miss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That God wants us to ask for wisdom, just like Solomon. But we need to ask. We need to ask him and ask, like James says somewhere else, to not ask doubtingly. That if we ask God for an answer, he wants to give it to us. But are we willing? Are we ready to accept the answer that he has for us? And I love this part. He says, the spirit who dwells in us, you're in jealousy. That above this all, it's not us asking God at a distance. His spirit as a believer dwells within us, that he is close to us and intimate with us and wants to give us those answers. And even if we don't know him, guess what? The spirit of the Bible calls him the paraclete, the one who comes alongside, that even before I knew him, the Holy Spirit was coming alongside. You say, when I was out drinking with friends, this is vain, this is empty. There's, I have something much better for you, right? He comes alongside. He wants to be close to us. He's not a distant God. And if he's not a distant God, then wisdom doesn't have to be far away from us. It can be right here in front of us. And James says earlier in his book that the wisdom that is from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, 
willing to yield, try that one driving, what's the wise move? Be willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. That's the difference. If you're watching The View, and I really hope you don't, listen to the wisdom that they spout. Is it pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits? I don't think so. I have a cup back there I got from my brother. It says CBS on the back. I'm like, oh, I should put tape over it. I don't want to take out listen to that. But sincerely, godly wisdom is going to be those things. God doesn't force himself on us. He's a gentle God. He's going to let things happen to us if we choose him. Like a, a, we, we throw him out like we have in this country. Like Romans talks about the abandonment judgment. He'll let it happen if that's what we really want. But that's not what he wants. And with wisdom, it's got to come from him. It can't come from a spreadsheet. I've got a great friend um, who's very smart, and he loves making spreadsheets, and he would make spreadsheets for all of his decisions. And I think that that's wise for certain practical things, like why is this tire better than this one? Why is this house better than this one? What are the costs? You know, there's a wisdom to those practical things. But there's no amount of Microsoft Excel or Google Docs that's going to divine God's will for your life. If you're faced with a decision, they can both look equally good, but it's what does God want for you? God doesn't want you to be poor necessarily. He doesn't want you to be rich necessarily. But maybe you'll be like Abraham and be super rich. Or maybe you'll be like Paul who will be beaten and killed and shipwrecked, right? Were they both following God? Yes. Were they both wise? Yes. Well, then why wasn't Paul healthy, wealthy, and wise? Because he was rich in the things that really mattered. And I won't get off on that. Paul's soapbox. Kick it off. The disciples before Pentecost. Right? Judas had betrayed Jesus. The disciples go, we got an open slot. Who are we going to fill it with? Matthias or the other guy? I don't even remember his name. That's how insignificant it was. They rolled dice and they picked the guy. And God's like, come on, guys. And he goes and picks the least likely person. Paul, the one who's out destroying the church, killing people, arresting them, doing everything he can to stop the gospel. And God goes, Paul, I got something for you to do. I see a better plan for your life than this. And I'm going to use you in many ways. The disciples never would have picked him. Anyone looking at his life and never said, this guy's going to write most of the New Testament for Jews and Gentiles. He hated the Gentiles. He was a strict Jew. And yet here we are. And you don't think God wants to do that in your life too? That, oh, I'm a failure. I'm a murderer. I'm not successful. Whatever it is that you believe about yourself or other people say about you is not what God says about you. And he has great plans for you, no matter how young or old, to use you in amazing ways in these last days. But he says, get wisdom, get understanding. I call it the trifecta. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. In your devotional time, if you haven't read through them, try it. Psalms a little long, right? So maybe do three at a time. You'll get through it in a couple months. Proverbs you can easily do in a month. Ecclesiastes about a week and a half. It's wonderful. And then when you're done, guess what? You don't know where to go? Go back to Psalms again and do it over again, right? Um, I've been doing that for years. I recently did Mark, and it was great to have a change up to being Mark, and the Lord really ministered me in that. But if we don't know what wisdom is, well, the first place to get it is by just reading it. You don't have to understand it, but just read it. Let it in. And they've said, another wise person has said that wisdom is knowing the right thing to do, but also doing it. Knowledge is just knowing, but wisdom is applying it. And here's a tool for wisdom I like to use. It's called blueletterbible.com. You can look up commentaries, all all the other words if you want to get into it. And that's where I pulled these words from, the word for wisdom and understanding. The word wisdom is hakma. Forgive me of that pronunciation, but it means skill in war. Get skill in war. 
Get skill in shrewdness. Get skill in prudence is what this word means. And are we not, most of all, in a spiritual war? That the goal of wisdom is to give you victory in your life over the wiles of the devil, over the fleshly desires that would keep you from getting the most reward in this life and next? Is that not where Jesus said to put our treasure, but in heaven where moth and rust and all those bad guys can't come and take it? The tax man and the new 87,000 agents can't come take it away from you? And understanding means discernment. Discernment, knowing right from wrong, knowing which is which. And that's even a spiritual gift. I want you to read with your family later, 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, and see that God has discernment for you. Not earthly discernment, which cell is right in the spreadsheet, but by his spirit will give you the answers to the thing you have in life. Everything in life. Little and small. I used to pray about what toothbrush to get. I'm sure God got sick of hearing that, but I'd be better praying about that than not praying about it. Because what the world calls wise today, enlightened today, progressive today, hate to say it, I don't hate to say it, but I hate to break it to you, it's not wisdom. It's not enlightened. It's not this new age. Solomon says there's nothing new under the sun. The things that people are espousing today are the things that they've done forever, and it's led them to death. Because our world is in utter darkness. And Isaiah 5.20 warns us, says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And that's what the world's wisdom would have us do today. Take everything that's sweet and destroy it. Take everything that's bitter and exalt it. And it doesn't lead to life. It doesn't lead to peace. It leads to death. But God's wisdom goes hand in hand with God's spirit and his gifts are for you. And part of that is knowing that we don't have many days left. Psalm 90 verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Part of being wise is really we don't have much time left. I was talking with a friend before, right? Having a deadline really helps with procrastination. Knowing that I got to do it because I have no other choice to do it, right? But we should number our days. And none of us in this room knows how many days we have left. No matter what that BuzzFeed survey said about your health, you don't know. And that'll make you wise because with the time you have left, you want to use it better. Like, unfortunately, when we lose somebody who's close to us, it helps us sometimes to cling to those people who are still around us and not waste those days and years with them. My oldest is 10 and a half. I don't know where those days went. But it makes me want to cherish the time I have with them. Because wisdom, wisdom is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. And where's your heart today? Psalm 6.22, Matthew 6.22 says, The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? If we don't want darkness in our lives, we have to stop looking at it. We have to start putting light in. The only way to get darkness out is to shine a light. My kids love my flashlights and all these other things. They go out, the chickens. and You need to shine light in. So even if you don't understand it, you don't need to be afraid of it. Even if you'll never teach it, it doesn't matter. God wants to teach you through it by his spirit. So just let it in. Read it. Listen to teachings. Come to church on Sundays. Let that water of the word wash you. That's what it's for. It's not for holding an arm's length. It's not for collecting dust. It's for you to eat spiritually. And 1 John 2.27 talks about the Holy Spirit and about we don't need someone else to teach us now. Yes, it's good. We should have teachers. We should have teachings. We should sit under good teaching. We should get counsel, right? But in our most intimate time, we just need God to teach us. 
We just need him to instruct us in the ways of righteousness and wisdom as we spend time with him. And everyone else just gets to help us along the way. Because your personal time with the Lord is where you'll gain the most personal wisdom. Those other things will help keep you in check and going off the rails and swinging on the chandeliers. But your time with the Lord should be guarded. Even if it's five minutes, it's important in the, in the beginning of the day. I can tell them my day goes one way or the other. It's, well, oh, I didn't spend time with the Lord. Let me go spend five minutes and read the Bible. And my perspective will be different. Because wisdom, as we come to a close here in a minute, is the principal thing. I like the way the King James says it, the principal thing. That it's it. If you get wisdom in life, everything else will sort itself out. If you know where to find wisdom and get wisdom, there's no problem that's going to come your way. Solomon's sitting and judging. The, the two harlots come, one with the baby, live baby and the dead baby, and he says they're arguing about who, whose it is. And he goes, well, cut it in half. And that sounds awful, but it got to the heart of the matter of whose, whose baby this mother really is. You know what I'm saying. I don't know if the words I'm saying come out right, but you know what I'm saying. Because it's the principal thing. If we have it, everything else falls into place. And more than that, if we have God in our lives, everything else falls into place. Because we want to go where our Father is. We want to do what He does. We want to know what He knows. And it doesn't matter if things come and go because we have our anchor. We have our high priest, the one who's our guarantee, the Holy Spirit bringing us home. And Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, uh, all is vanity. So here's a great word. What did you learn at church today? Everything's vain. <laughs> wow, that sounds like fun. But it's true. What we wear, we get older, our friends, our successes, our money, whatever it is, doesn't mean anything. He says, under the sun. On this life, it's all going to go away. Someone else is going to get it. Why do it? Why work so hard to make all this money, make an empire, when someone else is just going to buy it from you or take it from you and they won't remember you and you'll be dead in the ground? It's pointless, even under the sun. But with God, with the wisdom of God, even those pointless things become wonderful. The things that the world despises, raising kids and having a family and having unmarriage, well, they find purpose in it. You don't need to go outside of that to find fulfillment. It's found within those walls. He says, with much wisdom comes much sorrow. Here's another pick-me-up. Oh, man, do I really want to get wise? Because the wiser you get, the more... I don't know, not cynical, but down you'll get because you realize that there's no point to anything in this world. You won't be able to enjoy the things you used to enjoy anymore like the way you did when you come to the Word and you get God's wisdom and you realize there's nothing to live for in this life. I'm living this life, yes, for my wife and kids and have fun with them and raise them and take care of them, but I know that this isn't the end of life. Because if it is, I'd be pretty disappointed, to be honest with you. I've made enough mistakes in my 41 years that if I could go back and change things, I would and do it differently. But even then, that would be vanity because this life isn't it. This life is a blip. When we get to heaven, are you going to care? Are you going to care how promoted you were? Are you going to care how much money you made? I'm afraid, if you guys ever saw Schindler's List at the end of that, when he says, if I just sold this watch, if I had just sold my car, I could have freed a few more Jews from the Nazis. I'm afraid that I'm going to get to the end of my life and I'm going to go, what was I doing with it? I could have done so much more. I know that that's not, God wants us, not what God wants for us. He wants us to be wise now to number our days and know even this, that he wants us to have the abundant life. And that means life that doesn't care about these things, that can have these things and be good stewards of these things like Joseph and others in the Bible, that God will bless you with more things and you can use them to bless others and bring others to him. 
But ultimately, he wants to get you home to heaven. He wants to make sure that the wisdom he imparts to you through the scripture, as practical or spiritual it is, will keep you on the narrow path that you would not go to the left or to the right, but you hear that still small voice saying, this is the way, walk in it. Because he wants to give you a crown of glory. That when you get home to heaven, he would say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And I think we all want to hear that. And we're all going to go, God, I didn't, this is all you, and we're going to give it back, right? But Solomon, as we close, heard his dad say, I'm sure, Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So when all you're getting, Solomon would say to all of us, get wisdom, right? Go to Walmart this week, make sure you get wisdom first, right? Then you realize, oh, the cheaper thing's on the bottom shelf. I don't need the brand name, right? Get understanding because wisdom is the principal thing. And the wisest thing we can do is give our entire lives to Jesus. Like I said, Jesus said, he said, I come to give life and life abundantly. So wouldn't it be foolish not to take that offer? That wherever you are this morning, whether you've been walking with him since you were a little kid, whether you don't know him yet and realize that you need to come to know him, wouldn't it be foolish to not take that offer and go on that adventure? It's scary, right? It's a scary step, but it's not a leap of faith. It's just a step with your Lord. So as we pray, let's consider that. God, is there a wisdom that I need? Is there a step I need to take? And if that's you, take that this morning. So I don't know better. you doing worship again or? No? Is that really? I don't know. Sorry, I don't know. You guys can't. I'm going to lock the doors and take, toss the rest of the day. But let's, let's see. Here. That wouldn't be wise. Let's pray and uh, we'll see what the Lord has to do. So God, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you that it's easy to come to you. That God, no matter where we've been, God, you don't want to condemn us. That God, you took our condemnation on the cross And because of that, we have an open door to come to you. That you're not going to abuse us. You're not going to hurt us. You're not going to yell at us. Yeah, you're going to say, go and sin no more. But you took it all on the cross. You took the things that we've done that are not just not wise, but are evil and wicked and despicable. And you became them. And so, God, this morning we ask that, Lord, you would forgive us of those things. That, God, if you've been speaking to us about something, you'd give us the strength by your spirit to put it down and be wise. That, God, if you're calling us into a relationship with you, that we would be wise and leave behind our foolish slop and come to the table of our King and our Father where we can eat and celebrate forever. And, God, if we need wisdom this morning for a decision with work or family or whatever it is, God, you know. I pray, God, that whoever needs those answers, they would receive them. And they would walk in peace and in comfort that only you bring. So if that's you during this song, I want you to just um, just stand. Whether it's you need him or you need him. Whether you don't know him yet or you know him, you need him. And after service, find a friend. Find someone who's been in worship or serving. And ask them to pray with you. Be open with them. You don't need to tell them all your dirty secrets. It's not confessional. But ask them to help you pray in what you need. God, we thank you for this. We ask it by your spirit. We all need you. So may God bless you and keep you. And his face shine upon you this morning. There is a vineyard of the Lord. There is a vineyard for our soul. With all our troubles left behind the door, we drink first life.